Okay, 2 Timothy. We've been, since the fall, we've been doing a series through 1 and 2 Timothy. And these letters are both written by Paul, both written to Timothy. They're, they're written for different reasons, a little bit. Um, the first letter, which we've, we walked through over uh, several months, really w- primarily deals with how Timothy can help correct a church, the church in Ephesus in particular, which had gone off, off the reservation and the, they just left behind the, the pure gospel of Jesus. And so First Timothy is primarily about the church being faithful to Jesus and how that can come about as, as a church strays, what kind of steps need to be taken to get, get us back. Um, but as we get into 2 Timothy, it is a little different. It was written several years. Some people think it was two years. Some think it was a little longer between these two letters. Um, but what we know is that Paul is in a very different place writing 2 Timothy. Um, in 2 Timothy, he's in Rome. He's in prison. He's in his final prison. He, he had been in and out of prisons for the gospel uh, throughout his ministry, but this is his last stop. Um, he is, uh, we'll see this in the letter, the context of this comes out as you get through the letter, but we know he's in prison. He's in a hole in the ground um, somewhere in Rome. He's basically in, in darkness. Um, he's chained up. Um, he's in a miserable place, uh, but what he's doing is he's writing to Timothy, who is essentially his, his son in the faith, um, and he's writing to Timothy to say, this is where we need to go for you to continue walking with Jesus. And so 1 Timothy is primarily about the corporate church, right? The gathering of believers. Um, and 2 Timothy is more about the individual follower of Jesus and how this plays out. Of course, we know that 2 Timothy was written for the church as a whole as well. That's why it's in our Bibles. But, but it really focuses more on the individual Christian over the, the big the big gathering of believers. Um, so that's, the, that's really the only main difference. The, the theme is still the same. Let's stay faithful to Jesus. Let's stay faithful to the gospel. And so that's where, that's where um, 2 Timothy is taking us. Essentially, it's Paul writing to this younger man that he has had a great deal of influence in his life and, and has really seen him as a son in the faith. And he's telling him to keep going, just keep going. So how do we, in other words, how do we stay faithful to Jesus in the midst of hardship? How do we stay faithful to Jesus in the face of persecution or suffering or pain or loss? All of those things are themes within this letter. Uh, Paul is being persecuted for his faith. He's in prison because he's a Christian. That's why he's in prison. He's not in prison because he committed a crime that you and I would all agree is a, a crime. He's in there because he has the boldness to preach the gospel where it wasn't welcomed to be preached. So that's persecution. As a result, he's suffering. As a result, he's experiencing pain. And he also experiences loss, relational loss, and, and of course, the loss of his freedom. And so here Paul is in this terrible condition, but he's writing a hope-filled letter to Timothy and, and basically is trying to walk him through and walk us through how we can stay faithful to Jesus in the midst of the hard things in life. Um, how can you and I, because our, our circumstances are obviously different than theirs, right? Culturally, we're in a different place. We're in a different part of the world where we, we have differences, but the Christian life is still a hard life and it will always be. 
and, and it's hard in different ways and different uh, seasons, but it's still a hard life. So we have, we have to ask these same questions as how do we keep going with Jesus when, when the world uh, is not what we hope it would be or when hardship arises. So those are kind of the themes we're dealing with today. Um, so let's get into verse one, because I think verse one really does give us the, the big picture of what we need to keep going. To give you some context here, Paul, we, we saw last week that um, Paul is encouraging Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel. And, and we can understand Nathan Duke did a great job uh, talking through this, preaching for us last week and talking about the, the need to keep going in the face of persecution and how it's really a temptation for us to be ashamed of the gospel in, in the face of somebody's hostility. And so Paul's reminding him, don't be ashamed, continue pressing in, um, keep trusting Jesus, right? And those, are, and those are all those things that he's talking about. And then in verse 15 through 18, he kind of brings about these, this struggle of relational loss because of the gospel. A couple guys that he thought loved him, abandoned him. Um, and one guy actually did uh, still stick with him and actually searched out in, in Rome, found him, um, and, and was able to encourage him. So that gets us to verse 1 of chapter 2, though. Here's what he says. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This, I think, is the single key to walking the Christian life from beginning to end wherever that beginning of the Christian life starts for us. Some of us, it starts when we're young children. Some of us, we, we come into this faith much older in life. But wherever you start, and however much longer you have to go till you finish, this is the foundation of walking with Jesus, being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So here's what that means, fun- fundamentally. It means a lot, and we can, we're going to spend some time talking about this. But foundationally, it means that if we're to continue in the faith, we cannot continue in our own power or our own intellect or our own determination. We can't just dig our heels in and and keep, we have to keep going through the grace that Jesus gives to us to, to help us continue on. See, I think fundamentally, all of us are, well, I know we're all sinners, but fundamentally, we're, we're all weak. We don't have a lot of strength in us on our own. And so we need the strength that comes through the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So let, let me unpack what grace is for us, So because that's a word you throw around in church a lot. We don't always take the time to define it. But grace is pretty simple. It's the undeserved or unearned kindness of God. So the so grace is God's kindness towards those who do not deserve it. We we know that it's the kindness of God displayed for us in Jesus because this is what the apostle Paul in in the letter to the Ephesians says it is. Um in in chapter 2 verse uh 7 he spends this time talking about how Jesus gets us from being dead in our sins to being alive in in Christ, 
And then he tells us why he did this for us. It says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So the reason that we have been given grace is so that we can see and and God can display the kindness, the immeasurable kindness of his heart towards us in Christ. And we, we see in Romans that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. We, we see that, that God's kindness in, in and through grace is poured out into our lives. And so here's the, the issue. It is undeserved, meaning we didn't stand before God and go, and God goes, wow, you guys are so worthy of all of my kindness and love and mercy and everything else. I'm just going to give that to you because you've earned it. No, that's not how it works. We're, we're told clearly in the scriptures that we are not uh, deserving of this at all. In fact, we deserve uh, eternal death and separation from him. Uh, but what we are given instead is grace, this, this undeserved kindness and mercy from him. And we, we need to know this, that grace is the Christian life. It is the Christian life. That's why Paul says, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's, it's about grace from start to finish. Most of us, I think, at least are somewhat tempted to think that grace is just the entry point into the Christian life. And then after that, it's, it's on us to keep it going. That yeah, God gives us a measure of grace and then that lets us in, that kind of breaks down the, the initial barrier between us and God. But then after that, we just have to keep plugging away and, and do it all on our own. And that is a, there's a fundamental misunderstanding in that. And the, the fundamental misunderstanding is that we somehow have strength in ourselves as long as God breaks down that initial hurdle or opens that door. And that's not how Paul or anyone in the scriptures that writes the Bible thinks of grace. It is, it is all grace, the whole thing is God being kind to us to help us walk with him and obey him. And, and so we, we don't need to see it pure, purely as the entry point into the, the Christian life, but it is the whole Christian life. Your whole life you need Jesus to give you his grace. And that's the point that Paul's making here when he says to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Timothy's been a Christian for a long time by this point, since childhood. And so here, it would not make any sense for Paul to say, well, if the whole thing is, okay, the grace is just your entry point, he wouldn't be telling Timothy here that he needs to be strengthened by it. And as we dig into this issue, we actually see that our spiritual strength, our strength to keep going, can only come through the grace that's in Christ in other words, that he brings us all the good, he brings us all of the strength, he brings us everything that we need for life and godliness. And what we bring is nothing. In fact, we bring less than nothing. We bring need. We just bring our need to him. And we see this in, in Paul's own life. And if you turn to 2 Corinthians twelve nine, this verse is so important. And I think it, it really gets to the heart of what we're talking about today. 
So in the context here, Paul's talking about the thorn in his flesh, this thing that's just in his life that's so incredibly hard, painful, discomforting, and he's asked the Lord three times to take it from him. Now, it's, it's important that we recognize that he does not define the thorn. He doesn't tell us what his thorn in the flesh is. And I think that's deliberate because if he defined it too specifically, then we would think, well, that's just his problem. It's not ours. But because he leaves it vague, we, we recognize that, yeah, we can have thorns in the flesh too. Right? We have, we, and so there's three main theories that people throw out as to what Paul's thorn would be. It could be a physical ailment, um, a physical health problem that he couldn't seem to find healing in. Um, it could be a relational problem. Paul had a lot of relationship breakdowns, and, and you know, so do we, right? So that's, that could be it. And the third could be a, a sin struggle in his life that he just couldn't seem to overcome. And so whatever it is in those three, um, and, and I don't think the point is to figure out what Paul's problem was. The point is to know that he didn't have the inner resources to deal with this issue. And so he goes to the Lord and he asks him three times that, it would, that he would take away the thorn. But here's what he says God's answer to him is. So verse 8 says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, here's the quote from Jesus, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So the answer that Paul received from the Lord about the thorn in his flesh was this. No, I'm not taking that away. Because here's what I can give you. It's, it's even better than me taking it away. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient means that what, what Jesus gives us by grace, even in the hard things of our lives, is enough for us to keep moving forward. We don't have to have every obstacle taken out of our life to keep trusting Jesus and keep pursuing him because his grace is sufficient. It's what we need. It, it's, it's all that we need. And so uh, unlike a lot of parenting today, we, we know that there's, they call it, sociologists call it bulldozer parenting is the big thing now. And what that means is that parents are doing something very wrong and that is getting every obstacle out of our kids' way so that they never have adversity. Bulldozer parenting is terrible. If you're doing it, repent and stop and make your kids suffer a little bit. Um, that's, but this isn't parenting advice. Um, the point is, is that God doesn't treat us as a heavenly father with bulldozer parenting. He doesn't remove every obstacle, every, every suffering out of our life. Because to do that would make us conceited, and to do that would also remove our dependence on grace. And so Paul actually talks about how the thorn was there to keep him from becoming conceited, prideful. And so God graciously gave him a, a suffering in his life so that he would continuously depend on the grace of Jesus. And that is the same for us. Paul's not unique in this. This is how God operates for all of his children uh, to one degree or another, it's, it's different for all of us. Right? We don't all have the same struggles, but we, but we all have struggles and we all need grace. And so the grace is sufficient 
for us. And here's why. He says why is his grace sufficient? Because his power is made perfect in weakness. So our weakness actually displays more beautifully the power of Christ. And so all we come to the table with is our weakness and not our strength, knowing that his strength will be through his grace. And here's how Paul responds to this. He says, therefore, still in verse 9, I will boast, hear that, I will boast, brag, all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10 says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's weak, but he's actually strong in this strange kind of topsy-turvy way that God works in the world. God uses weakness to get us to his strength. This is why Paul can then say, reflecting on this many, many years after he wrote 2 Corinthians, he's writing to Timothy and saying, you, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is what he has experienced in his own life, the strengthening of grace through his weakness. And it's the same for us, that we, as Paul did, we should, I believe, brag about our weaknesses. I know that's, that's kind of a weird thing to talk about, right? Because so so, when you think of bragging, you're thinking of trying to impress people by how great you are, right? Like, oh, I have this education, or I have this job, or I make this much money. And obviously, as Midwesterners, all of this just lands really poorly on us. We're not braggy types of people. But, you know, you know when you think of a, a boaster, that's what you're thinking of, is somebody who's just going to talk themselves up. And what Paul says is, I can actually boast about how pathetic I am because Jesus is my strength. And I think that's, I think we'd all be better off if that's where we, we got to as a people to, to say, listen, I, I don't have anything. I've got nothing in the tank, but what, but what I do have is Jesus and his grace. So the grace of Jesus strengthens us to live the Christian life. That's essentially where Paul's taking us today. And so it, the, through the rest of this section, uh, the next 12 verses, he's actually going to just lay out four elements of the Christian life and how the grace of Jesus strengthens us for those four things. So what we're going to walk through is uh, our four aspects of the Christian life that all of us are called to, to some degree or another. And, and how, but the overarching principle here is that the grace of God is necessary to get us through these things and into these four things. So let's look at them. Let's look at verse two. Here's what he says. So he says, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will also be able to teach others also. So this is interesting because what Paul's basically talking about is this passing of the baton, right? So he's in this rat hole in the middle of Rome 
but he has invested his time and energy and, and heart into Timothy to teach him what he needs to keep doing the ministry of the gospel. And it isn't just Timothy that Paul did this with. We know he did this with uh, Silas. We know he did this uh, to some degree with uh, Barnabas. We, we know uh, Titus as well. Paul poured his life into certain men and then called them into other ministries and sent them off to other churches to help lead those churches. Um, and so Titus, he sent over to Crete and Timothy to Ephesus. And we really don't know exactly where Silas landed at the end of the day. But what, what we know is that Paul invested in these men and he did, he taught them what they needed to know. So what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, he then says to entrust those things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So here's this ongoing uh, issue for, for making the, the gospel continue to go on from generation to generation. Paul hears it from Jesus, right? He gets saved by, by Christ directly calling him. He finds these other guys like Timothy and he, in, he instructs them and trains them and equips them. Now he's saying, all right, I'm in this hole. I'm not going to ever see the light of day again, probably. So what you need to do is do what I've done. Find other guys that you can pour into, love and equip for the ministry. And so at the end of the day, here's what we're talking about. Foundationally, we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about what Jesus commands his apostles to do in the Great Commission. Go into the world and make disciples. And, that, and as we do that, it spreads throughout the world. And so Paul is just kind of walking Timothy through the process of discipleship. You've learned now you get to teach to the next guy who will get to teach the next guy. And you just keep on moving along. So primarily what Paul's getting us to is, the, is, is helping the gospel continue moving forward through the preaching and teaching in the church. Um, but, but this is a call that every Christian has on their life to some degree. Now, not everyone is going to have the same responsibility to disciple as, as others may, right? Church leadership tends to take the brunt of this in a lot of ways, but all of us are, are called to invest our time and energy and, and understanding of, of Christ onto another group of people or a person. It could be your children. It could be your, the people that God put places upon you in your workplace or your neighborhood. But it could be people within your own church that you just come alongside and say, hey, let's walk through some stuff together. But all of us, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have, we don't have to be rock stars at this. But I think all of us have a calling to disciple others on some, to some degree. Now, I, I, when I say this, when you hear pe- people say this, when you hear preachers talk this way, it can really add a lot of guilt onto you. I know it can because I've sat under it a lot. Like, who's your guy? Who are you doing? Like, and there's all this pressure to like find somebody to do this with. Listen, I, I love Larry Osborne because he wrote a book called The Contrarian's Guide to Knowing God. And he wrote a chapter in there that said, basically, it's okay to be average. And it's okay to be below average. Because otherwise, average means nothing. So some Christians are going to be above that, and some are going to be below that. But it's not a sin to be average. Here's, here's the point. I want to give you some freedom here to figure it out for where God is calling you to be. You don't have to feel this burden of, oh, no, I'm not doing this. Listen, wherever you're at, 
listen to the Lord. Engage where you can. Encourage in little drips and drops. It's okay. You don't have to have some kind of crazy system of discipleship to be doing this. You can do it in any uh, small way that the Lord opens up the door to do it. I just want to encourage you with that because we are called and the church as a whole needs to undertake this, this responsibility, right? And that's, that's true. But as individual believers, we're going to have differences of where that, where that is and how we work through that. But at the end of the day, it is grace that strengthens us to disciple others. Okay, look at verse 3 through 7. Here's the second thing. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlists, enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So here's the second component of the Christian life, and it's one we don't like, but it's a reality. We're called to suffer for the sake of Jesus. Every one of us as Christians are going to suffer to some degree or another, in, from some angle or other. We're all going to suffer. And so, so Paul says to Timothy, share in the suffering. Paul's suffering now in, in Rome, but he's telling Timothy, this, this is on you to keep, keep going with too. We, we are going to suffer in the Christian life. And there's all kinds of ways that that may come about. There could be physical suffering, relational suffering, persecution, our own sin struggles. In, in every process of sanctification or that process of Christ making us more like him, there's suffering in it. And so Paul basically says, listen, the strength that you're going to have in Jesus will help you to suffer well. And, and then from there, he basically says, he gives us three analogies of, of how we suffer. Three human analogies. He gives us the, the example of a soldier, the example of an athlete, and the example of a farmer. And he, he says, right, so share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Right, so... The soldier is inherently a position of suffering, right? Soldiers forsake their comfort and risk their lives for the advancement of their nation's cause. That's, that's the job. Like a soldier goes into battle to be shot at and fight a cause. That's not a comforting position. It's not, a, it's not an easy position. It's, it's a, one of suffering. The athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Athletes also suffer. Uh, they suffer physical pain in their training, the training of their body for, for the hope of a prize, the hope of a reward, the hope of victory. Like we're in the Olympics now, right? And so... I don't know if you watch it or not. I don't watch it. I just don't. I've never cared about the Olympics. But 
my, my wife loves it, so she's, so it's on. But um, these people, I have to give credit to them because these people work, they suffer and sacrifice to be there. Like there's no way you're going to compete at that level unless you've given up a lot in your life to get there. And so Paul uses the, that analogy. And then he uses one that's interesting. He uses that of a farmer. He says it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Farmers suffer. Have you ever talked to a farmer? <laughs> like, it's a terrible, terrible life in a lot of ways. Like, there is tons of suffering in farming. You have, you have obviously, you're dealing with the elements, you're dealing with animals, you're, de- you're just dealing with un- uncontrollable circumstances. Like, your entire thing is dependent on the weather. Like, it's tough. And so Paul draws out the farmer as, a, as one who suffers as well. But notice that in each of these professions that Paul draws out, there is a degree of suffering, but also a degree of reward. Right? The soldiers forsake their comfort for the potential of honor that comes from victory in battle. Athletes suffer physically as they train their bodies, but with the hope of a prize. Farmers suffer for survival and for the care of others as, we, as they grow our food and raise our animals. But the hope that they do that for is the hope of a harvest. And so there's, a, there's an end game to all of these things. Whether it's victory or winning a, a, a competition or whether it's the crops at the end of the season, all of these suffer but also experience reward. And that is what Paul's saying is, the, is like the Christian life that Christians suffer for Jesus, but we don't suffer meaninglessly. We suffer for the, the hope of an eternal life with him. And I think that the point of this, these examples is a bigger picture being in front of each of these people, whether it's the soldier, the farmer, or the athlete, there's a bigger picture in front of them that makes the suffering worth it. And so for us, it's the same, that we have a bigger picture in front of us that we should suffer and it's worth it. Okay, number three. Look at verse eight through nine. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. So here's the third component of the Christian life. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. We keep Jesus in front of our eyes. As Christians, that's the primary call, I think, actually, is to keep looking to Jesus, to keep bringing our minds and our hearts back to him. Over and over again, we continue to look at Jesus And Paul is simply telling Timothy this, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead as preached in my gospel. This is why when we come to church week after week, we partake, at least here, we partake of the Lord's table, the the, the, the reminder every week that we take this bread and we take this cup and we eat and drink in remembrance of him. Right, we put this back in front of our eyes week after week. And now, of course, it go, it, we, this remembrance of Jesus should go beyond the Sunday morning worship service, of course. 
but it can start here. We start our week off with a new perspective and we go into Monday and onward with that in front of us. And so when you are the most discouraged, here's the thing, you can remember Jesus Christ. You can remember him. You don't have to be in this building to remember him. You can draw your heart back to him through the scriptures, through the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. This is what will carry us through, but we cannot remember him again without the grace of God strengthening us. Okay, one more. Oh, sorry, let me talk about this. I I forgot I should mention this. Verse 9, Paul says, I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But then he says, the word of God is not bound. I, I love this because Paul is saying, I'm locked up in this hole in the ground. But that doesn't stop the, the word of God from going forward. The word of God is not bound. I'm bound. So we, we need to have this eternal hope again to look at Jesus and go, whatever I'm going through may not be be the most, I may not even be in a position to make God's word known very well right now. Paul wasn't in a position exactly that he could make the word of God clearly heard by most people. He's writing letters to a few people, but he's not preaching the gospel right now. And yet he has absolute confidence that the gospel is going forward. It's not bound. Okay, sorry. I wanted to touch on that before we moved into the last one. Verse 10 through 13 Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The the fourth element of the Christian life that Paul draws our hearts to, right? It's disciple others, suffer for Jesus. Um, I just forgot it. Remember, isn't that ironic? Uh, Remember Jesus and then endure, endure. This is the last thing. And this is where, honestly, this whole thing comes full circle is, We've got to keep going. We've got to endure. We can't give up. But we can only keep going if we're strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, I'm enduring everything for the sake of the elect, for the sake of those who love Jesus. I'm enduring all of this suffering for their sake. Because Paul could have denounced uh, and denied Jesus and gotten out of prison and just moved on with the rest of his life but he's enduring this suffering for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation. He's helping us see the bigger picture. Salvation that's in Christ. We can't have salvation without Jesus. With eternal glory, there's an end goal here that we have to keep our eyes on. And so then he goes into this this little saying, and, and I don't know where this saying is, could have been a creed from the early church. It could have been a, a hymn from the early church that they may have sung. We don't know where he's getting the saying is, but he's saying it's trustworthy. And here's what it is. If we died with him, if we died with Jesus, we will also live with him. And every one of us who has put our faith and trust in Jesus has died with him. 
That's what Romans 6 teaches us. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we keep going to the end, there's a reward. We get to reign with Jesus. He, said, he gives us a warning as well. If we deny him, he will also deny us. So, so there is a potential for us to say, you know what, I'm, I'm out. And we, we need to, this is in here not to scare us. It's in here to warn us that, that there is, there's no good end to the denial of Christ. We got to keep enduring. And then I love this one, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Jesus will continue to keep you if you truly love him and have trusted in him. Even in the moments of our faithlessness, he will stay faithful to you. And here's why. Because he cannot deny himself. The, the salvation of God's people is, is linked to his very heart and character. He cannot deny who he is. And he's a God who will save those who he calls and so here's the, here's the good news, right? In all of this, we're seeing that through the strength we're given in the gospel, of the, in the grace of Jesus, we can, we can continue moving this thing down the field by discipling others, by suffering well, by remembering Christ, and by enduring to the end. But, it, but none of these things can happen if we're not strengthened by grace. The undeserved kindness of God that we are tapping into each day for our strength, for our hope, for our life, that's where we have to keep going back to. We cannot let ourselves drift away from that into self-sufficiency or into our own sense of ability. We have to lean on the pure grace of Jesus for all the strength we need to, to walk the Christian life. So with that all said, let me, let me pray for us. Let's conclude with that. And then we're going to go into a time of singing and, and partaking of the table. So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you that you have loved us in Jesus and that you have strengthened us through him. And we pray that you would continue to help us grasp onto the grace you have for us. Would you help us to continue to walk with you would you help us to remember you? Would you help us to suffer well in life as you lead us through trials? And would you help us to endure to the end? None of us can do these things without you. And so we trust you and we pray for those things. And we ask that you would meet us now, even in our uh, remaining minutes is, as a congregation today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.